Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Well, uh, good Sunday morning to all of you, our church family, our extended church family now at this point as we have had several uh, online viewers who are joining us week to week. We are so delighted for all of you to be joining with us as we break the bread of life together and encourage one another with the word of the Lord this morning. I pray that today's message will be a blessing to you. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 with your Bible, your device, however you access the scripture. Uh, go ahead and be turning there. And I want to share with you a message that the Lord has sown into my spirit uh, this week as I was prepping for this moment uh, to, to share the word of the Lord with you. The Lord just dropped into my spirit uh, one particular narrative from the Old Testament, and I'm especially excited about sharing that with you. But it's a message that I've entitled, The Wilderness, A Cave, and A Calling. And let me just challenge you with this right now. If you know someone that is, is suffering with anxious thoughts and, and fearfulness and everything in the present tense, why don't you just go ahead and help me? Listen, it has never been easier to share the word of the Lord and to witness to people than it is right now because it's as simple in this moment as just looking down at the bottom of this post and clicking share, dropping it on your timeline, or perhaps sharing it to a friend's timeline or maybe sending them this link in a messenger, however you choose to do that. But we, we, we would love for you to help us get the word of the Lord out this morning. And uh, like I said, it's just never been easier. So if you've got your spot there in 1 Kings 19, I want you to uh, go ahead and begin looking there with me. But before we get into uh, 1 Kings 19, I want to go ahead and set the, you know, just kind of pull back to the scene and the setting where this narrative is going to transpire. Um, if you just turn back one page, 1 Kings chapter 18 and look with me there, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 has just enjoyed one of the greatest spiritual victories ever recorded in Scripture. This is one of those times when God has shown up in miraculous fashion, uh, just in a way almost like never before, and has really just wrought an amazing miracle in the eyes and in the viewing of everyone who was gathered on that day. In 1 Kings 18, uh, it records that Elijah had then challenged the prophets of Baal. Uh, Israel was bound up in idol worship, and they were worshiping the false god Baal. And, and the leadership of the nation at that time had raised up prophets for this false god and Elijah challenges these prophets to, a, it's kind of a showdown of sorts, uh, and, there, and there are 400 of them to be specific. And the word records this in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, and it says this, Elijah stood in front of them and he asked them this question, how much longer will you try to have things both ways? In other words, how long are you going to try to serve two gods how long are you going to try to have this both ways? If the Lord is God, then worship him. But if Baal is God, then worship him. And the people didn't say a word. 
And the story goes on, to, the, this narrative continues, and it tells about how Elijah set this challenge up, and he finally culminates at this point, and he says this, look, you call on the name of your God, or you call on the name of Baal, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. They said, yes, uh, Elijah, this is the thing that we need to do, this is how we're going to settle this. We are going to set up sacrifices, and we are going to pray to our gods respectively, and the God that answers by fire will be the God that we as a people are going to serve. Now, the remainder of this chapter tells the outcome of this showdown and how Elijah prayed. And the man of God prayed so effectively, so fervently, that fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Not only did it consume the sacrifice, but those of you who know the story well, you know that Elijah had watered down his altar and dug trenches around it. And not only did it consume the sacrifice, but it actually licked up all the water in the trenches around it. As a matter of fact, when James, the New Testament writer, was trying to think of someone whose life illustrated the power of prayer, he thought of Elijah. Elijah was a human being, James says, in James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. James was a human being even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So why do I share that with you this morning? I share that with you this morning to say, here before us is a mighty man of faith. Elijah, mighty man of faith. Through prayer, he can stop the rain from falling. Through prayer, he can have the, the rain start again. Not only that, but now here's a man who is calling down fire out of heaven. And while Elijah's faith and effective prayers are celebrated by those of the faith and people like James, not everybody is quite so happy when they see us or they see Elijah beginning to excel in the things of the Spirit. And after this great victory Elijah has just seen wrought in his life on Mount Carmel, that's when our narrative begins to take a definite turn. It reaches a turning point there. And you know, all of us, all of this happened, all of these amazing things happened in the land of Israel during the time when Israel was ruled by a wicked king by the name of Ahab and his even more vile wife, Jezebel. They were very, very wicked people. And I don't know exactly what Ahab's take on this situation was. I, you know, I'm not sure how he felt about what he saw go down at Mount Carmel. I'm sure he was impressed in his mind, his heart, as he saw the power of God move. But we know that when he got home and he told his tale of the day to Jezebel, his wife, that she wasn't happy at all with the situation at hand. We read these words and it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Picture this. Picture this with me. 
Elijah has just seen God answer his prayer by fire. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. These prophets of Baal, they have called out to Baal all day long with no answer. It's like the heavens are brass. Their God's not listening. Well, their God's not real. And then Elijah steps forward after all of this chanting, after all this cutting themselves and and calling out to a false god, Elijah steps forward and with a simple 60-something word prayer, he prays and his God answers by fire. Great victory. Mighty man of faith. Take nothing away from Elijah here in this moment. But it's right on the heels of that victory that Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and says this, May the gods deal with me. Now gods, that is that those pantheons of false gods. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life as one of them. In other words, Elijah, what you've done to the prophets of Baal, by this time tomorrow it is my full intention to have done it to you. I'm going to do to you what you've done to them. And here's Jezebel threatening this mighty man of God with his life. She's saying, listen, your, your life is in the balance here. Now, what, what do you think happened next? Just let's, let's forget, just pretend like this moment that you don't know the rest of the story. Or if you don't know the rest of the story, don't read any further right now and just think about what should happen next. You know, if I put myself in that place for just a few moments and I, 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 I still feel the thrill of yesterday's victory in my spirit and in my heart, I can think of a hundred responses that I might have had in that moment had I, had I just seen God move and answer my prayer causing fire to fall from the sky. I imagine that I would have been filled with such boldness that in that moment because of the great victory that I had just tasted that I might say, oh no, 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 not today Satan. Maybe somebody else at some other time in some other place. But from where I'm standing on this mountaintop, you're not getting the better of me today. You better step off, Satan, because I am saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And the anointing of God is on my life, and you can't touch me today. No, sir. No, sir. You can't come close to me. You know, that's, that's the way I imagine things. And you know, that's a great problem for a lot of Christians, a lot of believers in their Christian walk, is that the exercise of great faith only exists in their imagination. What's worse is that we often judge others who are facing difficult experiences in life based on the hypothetical, if if it were me in that situation, scenarios that only exist in our imagination. And we judge other people by what we think we would have done or how we feel we would have responded. But let me tell you this, you can't tell nobody nothing unless you've been where they're at. And I can't tell you what I would have done in that situation because I wasn't there. And thank God I've never been in that particular situation. But I can't tell you because I wasn't there. 
But what I can tell you is this, and I need you to write this down, because I know so many times that the adversary comes against you, and he works in your life through every little shudder that comes your way, and he makes you think that you're less than, and he makes you think that there's something wrong with your faith. But listen to me. It doesn't matter how great the victories you've seen in the past, and it doesn't matter how recently you've witnessed those things being done and coming to pass in your life, if your perspective gets off kilter, and if your focus gets shifted from the author and the finisher of your faith, then even the most faith-filled person can become full of fear. Even the most faith-filled person can become full of fear. You say, well, illustrate that for me. Well, we have an illustration here, and we're going to see it in just a moment in the life of Elijah. But beyond that, we know that Peter walked on the water. Great stride of faith as Peter gets out of the boat where all of his colleagues sat, afraid to move. Peter got out. Peter was the man who walked on the water. But in a moment, with a glance, he turned his eye away from the master and towards the waves and towards the calamity and towards the threat of harm. And instantly, he began to sink. The disciples were in a boat with Jesus. And if, if we, we read this in Mark's gospel, and if we only followed Mark's narrative, Mark's timeline to this point, these disciples had already seen Jesus heal a paralytic who hadn't been able to walk in his life, but now through the word and the power of Jesus Christ, he was healed. They'd already seen Jesus heal the man with the withered hand, and now they're crossing the sea with him in a boat, and a great storm, a great squall comes up and the winds begin to blow and the waves become boisterous. And they're looking and Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat. He's just up there taking a nap, man. He's not worried about it. And they become all anxious inside. They've seen this miracle worker in action. But now they're out on a boat and he's in the boat with them. And they're like, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? They wake Jesus up. Come on. Hey, Jesus, get up. Do something here. We are afraid. We're fearful. And here in this moment, Elijah is hit with a great blow. It's a setback. It's a test of his faith. And, and just for a moment, his focus gets shifted away from the God who answers by fire to the pagan queen who's spitting fire, and he runs. And he runs, and we read these words. Verses 3 and 4 record this in 1 Kings 19. And Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to the broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. And he said, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Take my life, Lord, for I am no better than my ancestors. And, and when the word says that he ran for his life, let me tell you something. This brother ran for his life. He ran nonstop. It's around 100 miles, give or take, from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. Uh, Elijah didn't have a helicopter, an airplane, an automobile. There was nothing but his feet or at best some type of animal to carry him that distance. 
And he would have had to have moved all day, all night, and then some to be able to make that trek. But it says, that, it says this, and this takes it even further, the depth of his fear and the fear that he was moved by. It says he left his servant in Beersheba and he continued on a day's journey into the wilderness. And what we're going to see next from this point is a dismal progression in the life of this mighty man of faith. Oh yeah, fear has put him to flight and flight has led him to the wilderness. I'm preaching to somebody today I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are, but I felt, the, I felt a quickening in my spirit that there's somebody that's going to be watching this service today and I'm preaching to somebody today that your anxieties about life and your worry and your stress have led you to a place of wilderness wandering. Fear has driven you to take flight Take flight from the realities of life and it's driven you to a place of bewilderment and wilderness wandering. And like Elijah, your mental and emotional strength is being taxed in this moment. He told the Lord, he said, Lord, it it would be better for me. It would be better for me if you would take my life rather than for me to have to go through what my enemy has intended for me. Death almost seemed as though it would have been a welcomed relief from the strain of that moment. And I'm telling you, I'm preaching to a generation today. I'm preaching to a generation of people who are so taxed in their thoughts and their emotions that it's difficult to get out of bed in the morning. I'm preaching today to a generation of people who are walking through things that have got you saying things that you didn't think you'd ever be saying and thinking things that you didn't think you'd ever be thinking. I'm preaching today to some folks who feel like waiting waving their white flags and giving up. My message to you today is this. Even though you may be in the wilderness, God's got you. Even though you may be going through difficult times, God's got you. Listen, somebody better help me in the comments right now. Somebody better tell the world right now, God's got me. I want you to go ahead and jump in the comments and just put it in there and let everybody know your faith that God's got you right now in this moment. Listen, you may be pressed right now, but you're not crushed. You might be persecuted, but you're not abandoned. You might be struck down, but you're not destroyed. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to turn his back on you, run out on you, or abuse you. God has got you in this moment. God's got you. Now here it is. Here it is. Then, verse 5 continues. As he lay and slept under the broom tree. He's in the wilderness. That that place of confusion. Anytime you read in the scripture and you find people in the wilderness, it's a it's a place of hardship, it's a place of confusion, it's a place of uh, anxiety and, and distress. It's it's nowhere that you want to be. When you read that some when you read in scripture that someone's in the wilderness, you understand that just simply to be that that's nowhere that you want to be. And, and it says, he lay there and he slept under the broom tree. And suddenly an angel touched him. And he said to him, arise and eat. And then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he lay down again. 
A little bit later on, a couple of verses later, we're going to read that Elijah was, was prompted again by the angel and he rose again and he eat and he drank and he was sustained for 40 days and 40 nights miraculously by that food that he received. It wasn't so much the food as it was the miracle working power of God sustaining his life in that, in that wilderness place. The text specifies then that he went as far from that point as far as Mount Horeb, which is another 200 miles away. And it, it accounts for that in a 40-day span. Listen, even at a leisure pace, I know you're thinking to yourself, my word, what in the world kind of journey is this for a man in the times of Elijah? Listen, even at a leisure pace of about two and a half miles an hour, he would have made this journey in 40 days, walking no more than two and a half hours a day. And you might ask them, well, what is he doing all this time? What is, what is Elijah doing all this time between, between Beersheba and Mount, Mount Horeb? What is he doing in all, this, all these 40 days? I can tell you what he's doing. He's wandering through the wilderness. He's wandering through dry places. He's wandering through rough places. And the, and the Bible says that God sustained him that whole time. Let me tell you, even when you don't see it, even when you can't feel it, and all you can see when you look around is the confusion of your wilderness, and all you see is the parched, barren ground of the desert, God is sustaining you and preparing a table for you in the wilderness of your life. Understand that. Flight now has led to wandering, and wandering is going to lead our friend Elijah to a cave. And understand this, it's, this is a cave of despair. It's a place, this cave, it's a place of isolation. It's a place of loneliness, as we'll see in a moment. And it's a place, when, when we find ourselves in a cave, that is a place where we're separated from all in this life that is good. The cave is dark. The cave is cold, and, it, and the, it's a place where the threats of the enemy play over and over in our minds, and all of our mistakes and all of our shortcomings are rehearsed over and over in our thoughts as we stay there and abide in the darkness of the cave. And the Word says this, he spent the night in that place, verse 9, and there he went into a cave. And he spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What in the world are you doing here in this case? I feel the Holy Spirit beginning to witness to someone right now. You've been in a wilderness. Maybe right now you're lying in a cave, and it's a dark, cold, lonely place of despair. But the light of God's glory is getting ready to break forth in your life. I feel the witness of the Holy Spirit right now that he's speaking to somebody, saying to you, Hey, what are you doing here in this place? How did you get here? Why are you still hanging around? What are you doing in this place of despair? And Elijah responds. And he says this. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. And they have killed your prophets with the sword. And I'm the only one left. 
I'm all alone in this battle. There's a lot of you right now that the enemy has told you that you're all alone in your battle. That nobody cares for you. Nobody understands what you're going through. Nobody understands the hardship or the difficulty that you're facing. And furthermore than that, nobody cares. And you've been convinced that you're all alone. Elijah was convinced in this moment that he was all alone. He was lonely. He was isolated. He was, says, I'm being threatened. He said there, he said, I'm the only one left. And they're seeking to take my life. They're trying to kill me. God is getting ready to give us a powerful, powerful object lesson here. And in all of this, as he instructs Elijah and he says, hey, get up. Get up and go stand out on the mountain before the Lord. And here's what happens next. We read these words in verses 11 through 13. It says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the after the fire listen to me after the fire a small still voice still small voice and so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him one more time, this question is asked. The Lord asked this question again a second time. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? What brings you to this place? Listen, the, the winds, the quake, and the fire, it says that all of these things transpired in the presence of God, but there was no revelation of God in these things. But it says that after the fire, there was a still small voice and I want to talk to you today I want to talk to you today and say you may have heard the winds of adversity howl and you may have felt the quake of calamity over your life and you may have walked through the fires of the trial but in the midst of it all if you will quiet yourself in the presence of the Lord you'll hear a still small voice that bears witness of the emptiness and the inability of all that other noise to bear any effect in your life whatsoever. And in the middle of it all, God spoke to the heart of his servant again and asked that question, what are you doing here? And this time, Elijah repeated the same response. He repeated that same response over again. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And let me tell you this. What Elijah repeated, what Elijah repeated and the information upon which his life was being moved 
that led him through the wilderness and into a cave, a cave of despair and a cave of loneliness is exactly what he had heard in the wind and in the quake and in the fire. Because when the wind of adversity howls over our lives, it threatens us with a word that is contrary to God's word over our lives. When the quake of calamity comes in, it testifies against the power of God in our lives. When the fire of the trial touches us, it witnesses that God is not able to deliver us. And Elijah therefore ran. But God, oh God, is about to bring some clarity to the situation. Come on, somebody, help me here this morning. God said to him, go and return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, <laughs> anoint Haziel, the king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as the king over Israel. And, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah. And you shall anoint him as a prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And I know that verse, those couple of verses in particular, have really gotten you fired up this morning and really gotten you energized. And right now in your mind, you're thinking, well, Pastor Steve, what does that mean? It means this. In essence, what God is saying here is God is saying to Elijah, he's saying, Elijah, I have anointed you to be a prophet. The anoint, my anointing on your life, my call on your life is for you to be a prophet. Now rise up out of this place of despair and walk in your prophetic anointing. Anoint kings, anoint other prophets, Declare the will of God. I didn't call you to sit in this cave and worry about what the enemy is trying to do. I called you to walk in the light of my promises. I know that the enemy has tried to tell you that the battle you're fighting is useless. But I'm telling you that I have the plans, the people, and the provisions to bring victory to this situation. And all I need you to do right now is get up in faith and walk in your calling. And God is saying, I know that the enemy has tried to convince you that you're headed for destruction. But I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen, Elijah, it's not all so bad. I know that the enemy has tried to convince you that you're all alone and there's nobody on your side. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You're not alone in this battle. I've got you. You're not fighting a useless battle. I've got a plan for you. You're not going to be destroyed. I'm going to prosper you. You're not going to die. I've got a future for you. And listen to me, I want to preach to somebody right now who's been weeping through the midnight hour. And you say, Pastor Steve, Pastor Steve, what are you saying? I'm saying I've been given a message to you in this moment to let you know that joy is coming in the morning. You tune out the noise. You tune out the wind. You tune out the quake. You tune out the fire. And you steal yourself in the presence of the Almighty. And you listen for that still, small voice. And He will reveal to your spirit that you are not alone. He's about to lift your head and establish your steps. He's about to roll back the darkness of despair and let the light of hope shine in. I'm telling you, church, that if you look around this world today and all you can see is defeat, then you need to come out of your cave. 
That's right. If you're looking around at the world and the current situation right now and all you can do is wring your hands and bite your nails and worry yourself sick, then I'm calling you in the name of Jesus to come out of your cave. Come out of your cave of despair. Position yourself before the Almighty. Tune out the noise all around the world and tune in to the voice of the Lord that is trying to speak to your heart and speak to your life and call you up into an anointing that He has for your life. Listen, you don't, you don't need, you need to position yourself to hear that still small voice of the Lord. I don't know what you see today, but I see victory. I don't know what you see, but I see blessing. I don't know what you see, but I see the dawning of a brand new day. And listen to me, church. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy is about to take over. Joy is about to be the order of the day because God is getting ready to do a new thing in the land. Listen to me. Listen to me. And you've got to take Pastor Steve serious this morning. I'm telling you, there's a demonic fervor that is aimed at the life of the Christian to rob you of your joy and to rob you of your peace and to rob you of, of all of the blessedness of abiding in the presence of Almighty God and dwelling under the shadow of His wing today. Everything that you hear in the news, all of this clamor, all of this noise, all of these, all of these conspiracy theories and all of these, all of these political maneuvers and all these things. I, again, I'm telling you, I'm not here to say we need to stick our heads in the sand and we don't need to be aware. We do need to be salt. We do need to be light. But I'm telling you something, all of that stuff has to be tempered with the truth of God's word. And if you've been running through this season and you've been wandering around in wilderness places and you've been hiding out in caves of isolation and you've allowed the enemy to drive you into that darkness, it's time for you to come out. It's time for you to come out and hear the voice of the Lord and to hear that upward call of God on your life. Listen, you were designed to be more than a conqueror. You were designed to be victorious. You were designed to be able to rise above all of these things in the confidence of what God Almighty has done in your life and who He has called and designed you to be. Listen, by this time, by this time tomorrow, I want you to be convinced that you have been made more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves you. I want you to know of a surety that neither height nor depth nor principalities or powers or thing, angels or things to come things present or things to come can ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that in all these things you have been made more than conquerors. Child of God, today is the day to rise up in a bold confidence, step out of your cave of despair and walk in the confidence of God's anointing and calling in your life and move out and let the light of God shine through you. Listen, God's got a plan in this world, even today, right now, in, in, in April of 2020, God has a plan. God has a purpose. And don't you let the voice of a Jezebel spirit drive you into a cave and back you up, but you come out in the boldness and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and you walk in the authority that God has given you 
I want to pray with you this morning as we wrap things up and we bring this service to a close. First of all, I want to invite you right now that yes, I know this is a confusing time in our world and I know that it's a very uncertain hour, but I want to tell you something. There is assurance in Christ Jesus that outpaces any trouble that this world has ever known. Because one day after this world and all of its elements have melted with a fervent heat, there is life everlasting and a place of joy unspeakable that we will live with him forever if we have received the free gift of his grace. And today I want to challenge you that if you don't know him, Jesus is waiting for you. He is not slack concerning his promises as men count slackness, but rather he is patient not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Friend, that's you today. Right now, if you need Jesus in your heart and life, if you need to surrender to him right now, and you want to be sure that eternity is going to be spent with him in the glory and the splendor of heaven, then I want you to pray this simple prayer with me and say, Jesus, right now I humbly confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, from this day forward, I commit my life to you, Lord, that you would live through me. Lord, that it would no longer be I, but you. I want to represent you here in this earth. And Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the free gift of your grace. And I receive it into my life right now in Jesus' name. Friend, if you just prayed that prayer, we believe that you have just started a new and incredible journey with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we at Faith Assembly Church would love to know about it. Listen, drop a comment here below. Uh, shoot us an email, info at faith-assembly.org or call 252-756-7676. Dial option three when prompted and our pastor on call will be back in touch with you shortly. We'd love to, we'd love to lead you in the next steps of your walk of faith and help you get plugged in to a Bible-believing church somewhere where you can grow and be nurtured in the things of the Lord. And listen to me, Christian, as we're closing out today. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Elijah was a mighty man of faith, so much so that God took him and he didn't even taste death. But that still didn't exempt him from being fearful. Listen, in this, in this troubling time, we've got to guard our hearts and guard our minds in the peace of God that passes all understanding and be sure that we're not being driven or motivated by fear and that's not what's moving us but the call and the anointing of God is what is driving our lives and I just pray for you right now in Jesus name that you would be emboldened in the power of the Holy Ghost to stand against the wiles of your adversary that you would have the wherewithal of the Spirit to tune out the noise of the wind the noise of the quake and the heat of the fire tune in to that still small voice and allow the whisper of the Holy Spirit in this moment to lead and guide your life. I believe God's going to see you through to victory. I believe God wants to give you a victory right now in this moment like you've never seen before. Well, until next time, I'm Pastor Steve praying that you have a Jesus-filled week. God bless you. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.